stories within stories. Meanings that point upwards. The cross behind the camera. We're Josh and Brandon, and this is Crossover Collab, Director's Cut. Long time no see. Right. Um, we're a little late to the party of the whole One Division craziness, which has been great. I think there's already three episodes out of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And Make it's only... that four. And the is fourth it... one's the best one. So is it if you haven't four? seen it yet, make sure you do. See, I can't count. Um, all I remember is that last scene from that last episode. Oh, oh. yeah, then you will have seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just can't count. They all go by so fast. Um, oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. But so, so good. I'm I'm amazed at how well um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is doing. It's just yeah, the whole thing of the TV shows works tremendously oh, well. Oh, yeah. So well. Like, because it's, it's moved Marvel from a plot driven thing to a character driven thing mm-hmm. and that's what it it's always been its strong suit of the MCU is like we don't really care like the villains were never that well fleshed out for most of them yeah and the scenarios were like i think that's the bit that Scorsese kind of focuses on when he talks about marvel being like uh, fairground entertainment rather mm-hmm. than cinema because it's just the spectacle, it's the blockbuster, it's the plot, it's the oh, we need to get the we need to stop Thanos from getting the infinity stones, you know. And I feel like Marvel is actually really good at the why, like the reason yeah. why all the and even um rewatching Age of Ultron after seeing One Division and seeing mm-hmm. like how um how Wanda's character began and how that develops over the the movies that she's in and into WandaVision. Like I for me, she was a very under like underappreciated character. I didn't yeah. um I didn't really pay that pay that much attention um when she was in like the Avengers stuff because she was so overshadowed by like, Iron Man and Captain America. Mm-hmm. But yeah. now that they've got this time, I mean I've loved Falcon and the Winter Soldier for the same reason. Like these heroes that are such good characters that just have had to share the spotlight with so many other characters. Um, yeah. It means they haven't had time to shine, but now now that it's looking at, like, can Sam afford to keep his family boat afloat, you know? Um, yeah. Can, can the Winter Soldier, can Bucky finally deal with his regrets in the past and can he make peace with all the people he's wronged? Can Wanda ever get over a grief? You know, it's it's fantastic stuff and really exactly. compelling cinema. So I Completely. love it. Absolutely, yeah, that's it. It that's the beautiful thing about it. And it's a shame when I've hear uh, when I hear some people basically say, "Oh, it's just one of those money grabbing things." I'm like, well, <laughs> I mean, firstly, it's it's still Disney, so yeah, they're gonna put stuff out when they can. But that's not like if you focus on that. No, because they could find much easier ways to just money grab. But the fact that they're taking their time, the same as Star Wars as well. I've heard the same opinions towards that, mainly from older people, to be honest. But when when I've heard those opinions, I'm like, but the characters that they are introducing that you've probably not heard of or you don't care about, it's because, as you said, they haven't been... Um, given that attention, they've been overshadowed by the main characters, and it's it's good to see like a fantastic arc with um, Steve and Tony, and it's predominantly those two that kind of fuel the main um, arc of the MCU. But it's great mm. to see uh, characters like Falcon or Winter Soldier, and obviously Wanda and Vision to yeah. get them fleshed out a bit more. And even better, just to see their flaws, which is such an interesting idea because we think of superheroes as, well, super. Like, they're, (laughs) you know, they're pristine, perfect to save the day. And obviously the MCU's explored this many times throughout 
all of its uh, films, particularly uh, Captain America Civil War. And like, it's great that it, it highlights a lot of those elements. But I think particularly with something like One Division and then looking at The Winter Soldier, you start to see, ah, oh, yeah, there is some... Actually, even with Falcon as well, with the whole... Um, Thing of him debating whether he should take up the mantle of Captain America was it best? Yeah, I yeah. left it. Maybe he should have destroyed it altogether. And I just, I love how there's a constant dichotomy um, between some decisions, and oh, it's so great. Um, but obviously, we're yeah. focusing on one division today. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously, the the main kind of flaw and a very very relatable kind of well it's not a flaw in itself that Wanda is grieving for vision mm. she that's not a flaw at all that is a very understandable reasonable and fair thing to have and do um obviously that we as christians realize is is very um doctrinal obviously with imagery well you've got lamentations and yeah um, yeah totally i think jesus references a lot of like um repenting and um mourning with like sackcloth and ashes and yeah the, and he of, of course also grieves his best friend exactly. Lazarus even though he has complete control over life and death being yep. god he still grieves so that i think that's proof that grief is a natural part very of much humanity yeah and it's it's not sinful to grieve but no, uh, no. i'll let you continue your point about how that then, I suppose, with Wanda. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, as you demonstrate, it's it's very natural, it's beautiful, and, and it shows the value of life, as you said, although Jesus had the control of that. It demonstrates still the beauty and the importance of life, um, which is an element of earth and heaven. And But, yeah, this isn't a big theological deep dive. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so when Wanda feels that grief, it's not bad at all. And particularly that episode where you see how the town came to be what it was. Oh, my heart broke for her. I was... Yeah, yeah. Oh, I I, I think I almost had a tear because I was like, that is so devastating. And yeah, right? So emotional. Yeah, that's the main thing. And you can even have compassion with her when her grief starts to become sin in the um, sense of she's controlled people. And she's kind of being told, yeah, you are in control of this place and you're choosing yeah. to cling on to it. But even then, as you, as we learn near the end, she really doesn't have as much control as we thought. And it's, uh, it's surprising how something like grief and pain can really take hold of someone and can mm. cloud their morality. Um, yeah, yeah. So, because at first you do, I think for a lot of it, there is this element of wondering whether Wanda really is the antagonist in this. But yeah, yeah. It's crazy to think that, but I think it's beautiful that the MCU really do set it up to be like, okay, this is actually just a mixed human character and yeah, how would yeah, humans totally. respond with grief? Um, so it's a great thing to actually like ask ourselves and and wonder. Uh, wonder, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... Um, the fact as well that she goes through all five stages of grief with Vision, um, it's it's really cleverly done in the show. I mean, I you might have seen the posts going around social media where they take each stage of grief and then match it to an episode, like they take frames from each yeah, episode. Yeah, I've heard that. It's a really good like way of visually connecting those ideas. Mm. But like, if you think of how at the start. It is very much drenched in that like 50s, 60s sitcom idea. Mm -hmm. And there's that willful ignorance of reality. Yeah. And and the beautiful thing as well is like when they chose to release it for a lot of reasons. Um, in terms of its place in the MCU, we know um spoilers for everything leading up to One Division, by the way, but we're presuming that if you're listening to this episode, that you are, you know pretty up to date with the mcu at least everything that concerns wonder and vision you know yeah, um yeah. so 
apologies if we do let slip anything else. Um, we'll try to keep it just about those films. Um, but yeah, um, you have been warned. So for those like first couple of episodes, we know there's this um, sense of denial of willful ignorance. There's a like a, a clash between the reality we know to be true and what we're being presented on screen. We know Vision's dead. That's not like, there's no question about it. We saw him get destroyed on screen. Yeah. We saw the Soul Stone get uh, taken in another completely unrelated scene. Uh, we saw the Mind Stone <laughs> get ripped out of his forehead, uh, is mm-hmm. what I meant to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so we know that whatever it was that caused Vision to be alive, um, as far as you know, the audience was initially aware, it, it's gone. Like, there's no way he can be alive. So how is he still alive? Yeah. Um, there's this idea, and it, it's it's an inherent mystery, but in the same way that um, Wanda is denying that reality, we also have to deny it with her by suspending disbelief and going, oh, no, it's fine, it's just this uh, TV show. Yeah, true. But then the cracks of reality start emerging and it causes uh, causes Wanda to lose that composure. You know, she goes through the other stages of like anger at the fact that there's people who want uh, to make her stop, you know, and, and uh, exit this sort of uh, fantasy world. Mm-hmm. Uh, she bargains to try and keep Vision around and to be able to effectively have everything her way. Then there's that depression as everything comes unraveling and she loses control of the situation. And then, of course, finally, there's that acceptance that there's a time for everything kind of thing, as we've talked about before in previous episodes. Um, As we hear in Lamentations 3, you know, there is a season uh, for everything in life. And Mm -hmm. uh, this is why, this is the second reason, I think, the timing of the show, like when they brought it out, was spot on. I mean, they probably didn't know about COVID when they point. first started filming it, but in terms of like if Falcon and the Winter Soldier is commenting on a post-COVID world, which I very much think you can look at it that way. Again, mm. I don't know if it was intended that way, but I like to see it that way, especially um with the GRC idea, you know, that yeah. council and how they use the same lingo that governments around the world are using these days of like restore, rebuild, reset, you know, recreate. Yeah, that's true. That kind of thing. It's And the fact that the slogan is so similar makes me think that they are looking at the current climate of the world and commenting on it. But before they do that in the MCU, they first look at something so deeply personal to each and every person mm-hmm. um, who's been through this past year, this past ride through hell that, yeah. <laughs> that we've all encountered in different ways to different degrees. But if there's one thing that everyone on the planet has experienced to some degree, I mean, we do every year, of course, but something that, you know, has been caused by the same event for most people. Mm-hmm. It's that grief, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And so seeing it through Wanda, we immediately have that empathy, that link to her as a character, because we all can probably think of something that we grieve for, mm-hmm. even if it's just going to the pub, you know, or, or exactly. hanging out with people, you know? <clears throat> that is a form of grief in itself, that, exactly. that old life kind of dying out. Um, so as I say, like absolute kudos to uh, Marvel Studios and of course Disney for when they, you know, released this stuff and and how they managed to talk about stuff that's so relevant to us right now, um, while also being distant enough for it to still be escapism from reality. I totally it's such a difficult balance to get, and they could have very easily. I mean, when I saw the the three R's thing in falcon and winter soldier with the rebuild restore reset i was yeah. like i'm surprised there isn't like outrage over this episode online i'm glad there isn't by the way because yeah, <laughs> i hate yeah. when people get up in arms about random stuff like that uh, especially when it's in True. you know fiction exactly. but um it was just impossible <laughs> for me to watch that without going this has to be commenting on again Surprising. you know um Feel free to disagree, but um, no, that's course. just how I see it, you know. I definitely see it. Well, either ways, it could be just serendipity or it could be a genuine commentary. 
either way is we've examined it and it it seems at least applicable despite the intention i suppose yeah um, yeah so yeah i think it works really well and as you said there's definitely been a, a tasteful and a kind of a good balance in um how they've presented that and yeah i guess it's kind of um i wanted to comment on that thing you said there about how it's not just death that we we can necessarily grieve although that is definitely one of the greatest things and the main thing that obviously wanders um grieving in the show but commenting even on um a lot of the themes of grief and um lamenting even in scripture it's not just necessarily about death but it's the idea of losing a home throughout the exile there's yeah. a lot of people who obviously yeah. lamenting through that um there's a lot of people as I, I already made the comment there of when jesus talks about um repent with um sackcloth and ash sackcloth mm. and ash was a, just a very cultural and it sounds obviously a little weird to us but that was like a very cultural way of lamenting and grieving yeah and but that was specifically to repent from their sins which is an interesting thing because they're not mourning anyone and yeah. i think it's a big conversation in itself anyway but based on my just outside not revised eye of this um particular text right here i'd say it's definitely a um commentary on losing the best parts of ourselves losing that that godly mm. side of us and yeah um it's almost a good thing to get through that like your you're lamenting in a way you're lamenting like i've i did lose um that godly side of me but now i also um facing and accepting the death of the sin that i have been practicing and now i move on to a better place and so like i think quite often people think that grief is just um, a matter of um feel a bit sad you get on with it but there's obviously way way more to it um which i think is obviously demonstrated through um what wonders experienced and Hmm. going even further back josh i think it'd be nice to clarify these five stages of grief that you brought up i think it'd be really nice to identify what those are yeah Um, well um i kind of briefly outlined them um but like the it's kind of a psychological thing they've done studies into it and it i suppose it's a sort of theory rather than a hard fact you know that yeah, everyone yeah. goes through grief in the same way it looks different but yeah um in terms of these five main stages that they discovered in people um it starts out with that sense of denial, denial. that a person in grief doesn't want to accept that they've lost something yeah um then it becomes anger where the person lashes yeah. out because they've lost the thing uh, bargaining an attempt to replace what was lost or um to try and fill the void with something else mm-hmm. and then when that fails a sense of depression uh because you know they feel the weight of the sadness of what's happened and then kind of once they've let all of that emotion out there's the catharsis there's the acceptance yeah. um of you know being able to come to terms with the fact that that person is no longer here or that time of my life is gone or that thing I had is lost, you know? Um, And, uh, you know, those five stages, they seem to hold up pretty well uh, in reality, as we mentioned, uh, though it differs for each person when they encounter the stages or even if they encounter all of them. Um, But yeah, uh, I think in terms of in pop culture we do see a lot of cases where the the five stages are personified or they're a metaphor you know that's that's in the film or the you know whatever cultural artifacts but um i i just one thing to comment on um when you were talking about the kind of uh that relationship with grief i suppose um that yeah. we see in the bible i love that wonder vision portrays grief as a person um that it's it's not just it's not just a feeling because again it's like um if it's just a bad feeling um then it seems like it's kind of 
it's just on us sort of thing. It's yeah, like, oh, exactly. well, you know, just just get over it, you know. That's but I it. think thinking of grief as a person that you've got to like uh, reconcile with, that you've got to come to terms with that kind of person of grief mm-hmm. that has like effectively temporarily taken its home within you and it like dictates your wow, actions yeah. and your thoughts and stuff. I think it can it can help us understand and empathize with, say, Wanda's decision to keep these townspeople under her control. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, you know, she's trying to fill that void. It doesn't justify her actions and it doesn't say that they're acceptable and it definitely doesn't say that she hasn't done anything wrong by hurting all those people in that way. But we can at least see that when she was doing that stuff, it wasn't fully her. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something important when it comes to understanding sin as well and our relationship with that. Because again, it's kind of in the same way that as Christians, we try and kind of put on the character of God and um, live out godly attributes and let the Holy Spirit do a work in us. We're relying on another person to, you know, live through our actions and to help us. Yeah. In the same way, it's just as easy for us to kind of put on that character of a sinful nature. Mm-hmm. And seeing it as, uh, I guess, it brings to life more that those passages of like wrestling with something. Exactly. Um, in, in the way that, you know, Jacob wrestles with God in Genesis. Yeah. Um, and David in the Psalms, he wrestles kind of thing. Yeah, very uh, Emotionally. But to have that kind of visceral and physical presence of grief that's always there for Wanda. And she has to learn how to say to it that it is her grief, to own it and to accept that what she's looking at isn't vision. She's looking at the shell of vision, like what she remembered of him yeah. and the pain of not having him around anymore um, was a really, really beautiful metaphor for it. But also... Um, the other vision, of course, um, yeah. appearing at the end as this kind of idea of hope coming out of sadness. I was and that... already going to come at that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry for stealing your point. No, then. that's good. I'm glad that you've mentioned it. It's amazing. Well, because it's a very biblical theme, isn't it? Like, yeah, exactly. The, um, it's what I love about the Bible is that it's not it's not one sided in its emotional portrayal. It captures mm. the fullness of humanity, and of course, it would because it's written by the designer of it. Exactly. Um, but like you know, there there, it's not to excuse us when we're at our worst. But you know, there there is hope for the future, and even in lamentations and stuff, when uh, Jeremiah is absolutely like at his tether, you know, and yeah. he he can't take what's happened to Israel because he warned them and they still got into exile. Uh, he weeps for them, but he still has hope that God is going to work it for good. And you see that come up time and again in the Bible. Job does it. Um, yeah. he says my redeemer lives and I shall see him while I'm still on this earth mm-hmm. um, and that's while he's like effectively on his deathbed he's so ill yeah. and he's wrestling with all of that but he still doesn't slander against God and he has that hope within him that's it. Um, so yeah like having that second vision that out of grief can, some, can come something else and that um, I love how they mentioned the ship of Theseus I love that paradox I know right um how yeah like what's to what's to say that that vision isn't just as much vision as the one that she left behind and Mm. that out of her memories of of him um she can still you know have that hope to see him again sort of thing um i know it's it's a bit of a i'm I'm straining the metaphor at this point i know um, what you mean though yeah it's it is beautiful to see yeah Yeah, (laughs) i don't know if you wanted to kind of elaborate on that sort of idea i suppose so well yeah very briefly more so i don't know it's just um like the it's more the eschatology of that in how the (laughs) how vision is like a new body and we can also make parallels as to how like you know jesus technically had a a new body with with resurrection uh, and how mm. like we were essentially given new bodies so there's definitely more of that element of like you know the eschaton and the days when heaven and earth are there again and in jesus's second coming that there's hope to see loved ones um and there is hope 
to be renewed. Um, that's a great parallel in itself. Um, but obviously, I think there's also another interesting thing of, I guess it kind of suggests inaugurated eschatology, which is such a, a, a foreign term that basically means we start to see what the end times look like. And I don't mean in terms of right. um, destruction in any way. I mean in terms of elements or pockets of heaven, essentially ah, right. seeing what Eden is basically going to be like. So the main way that the eschaton, the end, has been imagined now is yeah. through Jesus, is when Jesus, the way he was living and interacting with people, and obviously in his def- in his resurrection was the clear definition of the eschaton being inaugurated. Um, right. I will continue my point once I grab my charger. <laughs> so one second. I didn't know what inaugurated eschatology was before today. So, oh, nice, that's great. Thank so, you. Yeah, of <laughs> I'd I'd heard the words obviously because uh, you know we we follow uh, Imago and all yeah. of them. Um, so I hear it all the time, but I I didn't really think of what it was. I thought of it as like um, integrated exegesis. With the kind uh, <laughs> of that, I was hearing inaugurated ex, uh, eschatology, but in my head, that was what I was um, seeing. You know, I was like, "Oh yeah, it's when you integrate the ideas into." It's like, no, it's not. What it means. <laughs> yeah, because <that>, <laughs> I tried to decipher it before I looked into it, and it's really interesting. Um, yeah, I've studied a, a fair bit, and it, it's fantastic. I I think it's really interesting. Um theme within the bible and yeah it's so crucial to see it's the posh way of saying now but not yet isn't it like pretty much yeah the preacher's lingo yeah basically um it pretty much kind of is that and yeah the way that uh thing the the parallels draw between like the time to come and now is is fantastic but what i do recognize with one division is that element of you've got that hope which is so crucial um and obviously the mcu are gonna make it more hopeful in terms of you'll see me again wink wink yeah (laughs) Um, but i do like that even after all of that she's still stood in that empty like house where they could have been yeah not having anyone and that's the this sounds awful but that's more of a sad reality in that i know that hope is good but it's learning to also be well and to acknowledge the fact that we are still in a period of waiting that we are still yeah. in a period of you know people aren't here right now and yeah yeah that's okay um that's perfectly fine and we still got to be able to work through that and be there for others who are struggling and um kind of be a community be united be what the church is hmm. supposed to be um yeah yeah you know what i mean I, I mean i think um something that really um i i had to learn you know recently um from reading c.s lewis was hmm. when he talks about how faith hope and love persevere till like the end when he's like, and these th- three things remain, uh, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. Yeah. Yep. Uh, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Mm-hmm. And it's weird that hope is something that will exist even in heaven. Um, yeah. And it's it's a weird thought because it's like, well, surely hope is the idea that things, like you're waiting for something to get better so that you can cope with what's happening now. That's mm-hmm. kind of how I've always seen it. Um, I know in uh, English literature at school, we um, studied the poetry of William Blake mm-hmm. and a lot of his criticism of the church of the time through his poetry was a lot about how they um, 
they teach people to hope for a reality that they'll never see while they're alive. So yeah. they work all their lives to try and get treasures in heaven, which yeah. the Bible tells us, you know, treasures in heaven are worth far more. But um, Blake was seeing that the church was using that as an excuse to treat people evilly, to be fair, like <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. at that time in their lives. Like uh, he talks about, there's one about where he talks about this chimney sweeper, uh, like a child who is going to die very young from like black lung. And um, they, you know, they're doing this horrible, horrible job, but it's fine because when the chimney sweeper dies, he goes to heaven and gets to sing with the angels and it's all good. And that's what they used at the time. You know, they used that hope yeah. as a weapon against the people. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of how I'd seen it. That hope was like a defect in human mm -hmm. nature that like, if I had hope for something, that meant there was something wrong with me right now and that there will come a time eventually and that I'm just using that hope as a way of coping with whatever's wrong. Mm -hmm. But seeing how Lewis framed it, I mean, because with COVID and everything and other kind of life stuff falling apart back end of last year, yeah. uh, well, I say last year, I mean back end of before COVID times, mm -hmm. um, I'd kind of become disillusioned with hope. I was like, well, yeah, I, I because I, I saw it as that sort of thing that it's like, oh, well, um, I don't want to hope for something in the future because I think that that is a lie. Like, I don't think there is anything to hope for. Uh, of course, that in itself is a is the real lie because we've got everything to hope for in Jesus. Yeah, exactly. but um, I was um, I, I had this perception of hope that yeah, it was like a a crutch, but the way Lewis puts it as like you need hope so that you can live properly now, exactly, and that it demonstrates a sort of character towards God of like an expectancy of, um, of God's goodness and all of that. And that, you know, it is the mark of someone who is being regenerated and of someone who is in close communion with God to always hope for, for goodness. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. can't really think of what, what else my sort of point about that was, but Seeing, yes, I guess seeing hope as something that's for today rather than for just tomorrow. Exactly. That because you're hope, you have hope for the future, you don't have to worry about the future. You can just focus on being content with the now. And I yep. suppose to link that back to Wanda, that's kind of the state that she's in mm -hmm. at the end of the finale. Like she is left with exactly what she had at the start, which is nothing but she's got a little bit more than nothing because yeah. now she has the hope that she can deal with the pain of being alone because she at least has that hope that she may see vision again. And until then she's got a purpose. She's got things she can do and she's got all these treasured memories of mm -hmm. who vision was to her. And the fact that as well, I loved that when uh, she's talk she talks to vision and describes him as her grief. Um, she also describes him as being, oh, no, that's, that's not it. Hang on. Vision talks about, uh, grief being when love endures, mm. like what is grief, but love enduring. And that is just, I mean, that's a beautiful thought, isn't exactly. it? Um, obviously there's more to love than just grief. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if we think about, I mean, the love God has for us as well, um, mm -hmm. that sort of endurance to it, that nothing can can stop it or hinder it or diminish it it keeps going and going and going and that that is the mark of of love like when we know that we truly love someone when they're gone we still continue loving them and that looks like pain and it feels like pain but it's that it shows just how much that person mattered to us so yeah i mean i wouldn't say it's a flawless show but for the time it came out um and you know the place the world was in and also, I know we haven't really talked about it today, but the cinematography, the, the oh, yeah. um, like kind of homage to sitcoms through the years, and it's fantastic soundtrack from Christoph Beck oh, that gosh. it tells us when things are normal, and then it ejects a bit of the surreal in there and brings some of that Hollywood magic in when we know that there's something up. 
and then yeah. just goes absolutely a hundred percent through the wall like when when stuff is getting like epic and all that it's it's fantastic score and um it's definitely i was so happy when it got released to youtube a bit like with the mandalorian um mm. i just you know i just had another listen to that main theme because i i love it so much the one division theme it's just perfectly sums up the show but anyway, all that aside <laughs> yeah man um i think it's a fantastically made show very much for the times and yeah that's it yeah 100 percent um looking yeah. forward to season two <laughs> <laughs> right uh, oh i would love to see at least more of her character popping up i i obviously see for the time being a bunch of more uh characters being in the spotlight but yeah, yeah i I love him so much. Um, and the thing is, I love Paul Bettany. I love um, Arno and um, Olsen. What's her first name? Elizabeth Olsen. Elizabeth right? Olsen, yeah. They're both fantastic actors. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, just the general... I mean, the show simply in itself, despite us, like, talking about a, a wonderful theme, um, to just be able to see where the whole sitcom thing came from from Wanda's past and then for yeah. Marvel oh. to execute each time period I think so well and, yeah. and after researching you start to see like oh they researched the Dick Van Dyke show and like yeah, got right. him involved to get a real essence of what it was like and then they had a live audience in there and yeah it's Ooh. so so well done and yeah the fact that as well what is initially it's like they they lure you in with the gimmick, right? That mm-hmm. it's like, oh yeah, well, it's uh, sitcoms through the ages, and look at how we perfectly parody this um, type of thing, you know? Um, yeah. But then it turns out that even the form of the TV show, it's not just that she created the the world to be a TV sitcom, mm-hmm. um, and that's why we see it as a serialized TV show rather than a film which I think was a brilliant choice as well. Yep. Gives you more time to explore the characters. And of course, we would know that something was up immediately if we watched it as a film. Because yeah. in a film, it's like, well, how come it's a TV show? We're watching a film and it's got an hour and a half runtime. And this episode, quote unquote, is like 20 minutes long. What's up with that? It's going to go weird. Yeah. Um, so even in terms of that, we, we knew, you know, from like all the trailers and the little teasers and stuff, Obviously, it's going to go somewhere. It's not just going to be like this sitcom starring Wanda and Vision. But that element of it could at least pretend to be a TV show for a couple of episodes before Mm -hmm. it hits you. with, uh, And and then just um, how, yeah, as you mentioned, they linked the form to character. That it wasn't just that she created the TV show, so it was a TV show and to control everyone. She created it as a TV show because... TV was where she always escaped to when the grief got too much for her. Yeah. It was her way of ignoring reality, of shutting it out. And you see it the whole way through her life and like how much grief she had to cope with. Mm. Again, it's like, <laughs> what did everyone, well, not everyone, but what did a lot of people turn to during the pandemic when they were locked indoors? They turned to their favorite movies and TV shows. Yeah. They went there for comfort. So, they knew exactly how to write that character and how to get it to connect mm. to the audiences watching. Super relatable, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, just so well executed, yeah. Yeah, for definite. Um, and I think the cool thing about it is because it was set up with the TV show um, in mind, it was when the weird elements did, did start to happen, you almost forget that you're watching Marvel. So when the, yeah. the beekeeper comes out of the the drain or when mm. he starts choking and his wife's just laughing that yeah so creepy so creepy yeah and again uh christoph beck's score at those moments how it goes from um the dated tv sound to just and it's like oh yeah it's fine and then you hear those synths creep in yeah. or the tremolo strings or the aspect ratio changes a bit in terms of the cinematography and the filming like that stuff that's the um it's again it's the beauty of the music in particular that the music is often the first sign in the show um that something is wrong yeah it's exactly. it's like 
we um yeah she sees the helicopter that's in color when everything else is black and white that's weird but before she even picks it up we know there's something up with her but because the music isn't all like big band type mm. uh, um well it's not big band of that time i know but the kind of swing sort of thing yeah 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 um because it's not that anymore the silence already is eerie and then it brings in that extra level of as i say the kind of hollywood gloss and stuff it brings in what we expect from a Marvel film for the soundtrack. And that's when it's like, oh, okay. So it's there's more to it than just the show. Um, which is why I think after having those first few episodes to establish the mood, and then um I can't remember the character's name. I'm so sorry, but um Captain Marvel's best friend's daughter. There we go. That's how I'm gonna say it. Um <laughs> When she gets launched out of the town, um, and what, what uh, I can't think. Are you, you, you all right to Google I'll it in the Google background? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, so yeah, like she gets launched out of there, and that narratively is the perfect point to then establish the setting and the world building and what's actually the pretext to the show. Mm-hmm. Because now people are ensnared, now people care to find out the answers, and you've really built it up, sort of thing what is the show and all that by kicking someone out of it. Great mm-hmm. idea. Um, and Monica, also... It's Monica Rambo, by the way. Just Monica Rambo. yes. It, see, the, the names that you remember when you hear them, but because I'm not familiar with these characters... Yeah, I've forgotten about I, I forget them so easily. And I wouldn't be able to tell you what her superhero name is, even though her design was really iconic. Yeah, I can't remember either. I'm, I mean, I'm just bad at names in general. Yeah. Um. <laughs> But yeah, um, so using that then, and and when they change the aspect ratio, as I say, into widescreen, and it's like, oh, now it looks like a Marvel film. So all of that stuff is is brilliant. And they wouldn't get away with half of the cinematography techniques they used if, as I say, it wasn't for the music. So, you know, as a a composer myself, I, I love that. And it excites me that those are the projects that, people are working on and and that again you know i've i've had a lot of cynicism towards disney like mm-hmm. um what self-respecting creative person hasn't you know at yeah, some true. point true. like this giant seemingly monolithic company that controls like what 50 percent probably now or maybe 40 percent if we're being kind to the rest of the world yeah. um they control that much of like the creative industry, like period. Yeah. Um, it's scary. But then you realize that within these giant companies are teams of dedicated people who, because of these large companies with infinite money, it seems like they can put a lot into making these visions, um, <laughs> pardon the pun, yeah, right. come to life. You know, <laughs> they, they allow that creativity and, and with a budget like that, like they use a superhero film budget to to bring a TV show to life, and it's yeah. great to see. Like, and again, I, I thought Falcon and Winter Soldier would be a bit boring by comparison after everything I'd seen in One Division, but they seem to just keep topping themselves every time. So I totally agree, and I think yeah. that's the <laughs> the great thing with with them is with Marvel and now Star Wars. If you've got a passionate team. It's kind of good that you're under an umbrella like Disney. Like we know Disney themselves can obviously have the limitations and aren't great on certain things. But I think as we've talked about yonks ago, um, one time it was just like you can obviously tell if you've got a passionate team behind a, a TV show. Oh yeah, um, yeah. or a film for that matter. So and if you can see that, then then that's great. They're doing a good job. <laughs> You know, mm. um, so I think we definitely identified that. So yeah, man, stunning. And like I said, I, I'm I'm super excited, particularly after the last um, scene and episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Which can I just say? I know a lot of people don't like the new um, Captain America, and I personally didn't like his character when he first came in. I was appalled at just how the internet just blew right? up. Right? <laughs> just because. Uh, and 
I'm trying to organize my thought now. But yeah, um, <laughs> when I first saw him, like I again, I was watching with my flatmates, and they were like, "Who the hell is that? Like he's not covered." It's like, well, that's what they want you exactly. to feel like. They're not trying to pretend that the replacement for Cap is like a good thing, you know. Um, yeah. and I like how they played into that because can you imagine if they tried to replace Steve Rogers with? like exactly. trying to make someone that's the same caliber as him like people would have hated it anyway so the fact that they yeah. leaned into that and i found out as well john walker is like a pre-existing character in marvel and he's like oh, really? a sort of anti-hero version of captain america I don't know. um so i think that we can talk about it in more detail another time of course yeah, but yeah. um i mean the fact that they fully leaned into that again they know their audience i think really well and the fact that they were like yeah they're not going to like whoever we choose to be the new Captain America. So we properly lean into it and we make that right. initial bad vibe about it mm-hmm. be because there's something off with his character rather than just that it's not, you know, Chris Evans. Yeah. I liked that. Um, it was Same, a cl- it was a really clever choice. I yeah. know, right? But like, oh, there's some people, well, the two main people I was disappointed with was firstly, a lot there was actually I was surprised at the amount of people that I've seen in comments say, I'm really excited to what this guy will bring. That's like fresh and renewing. I was like, Can you not can you not read like what they're going for? Like that he's obviously not <laughs> he's not just a new, fresh character that you're just gonna see now for like the rest of the MCU. That's so I was already a bit like, Oh guys, you're missing the point. And then <laughs> you've got the other people who I've heard, like I've heard, bless the, um, the actor who plays him, receive yeah. bloody death threats. Are you kidding me? Legit, <laughs> man. I am utterly appalled. I'm like, are you kidding yeah. me? Like, yes, the whole point is you don't like the character, but at the end of the day, it's a bloody character. It's yeah, the yeah. narrative. <laughs> this and this is the. I mean, this is what blooming any any kind of franchise that's somewhat popular yeah, is totally. you're gonna get some incredibly passionate um fans that take things way too seriously. We're all we're all having a great time and then they'd like to make a big scene. Yeah, I mean it shows though how compelling the acting is that like yeah true John Walker is such a hated character and they do that just from like the performance and as well that you still empathize with them anyway anyway yeah. anyway that is another episode <laughs> i because... was just gonna say it might make another episode yeah uh, content on... am i right right <laughs> <laughs> that's it want to keep it um reserved locked away ready for later <laughs> we've learned from EA. in the disney archives exactly. the precious vault <laughs> <laughs> that only we have access to exactly right so yeah we'll definitely be um making a future episode commenting on the falcon and the winter soldier and that'll be also fantastic mm. um talk about and i'm excited just for all the new projects that they'll be bringing out after that even so yeah good stuff love love mcu and I know when you're going to be editing this that some of the audio from my end will be more accentuated. So mm-hmm. if you guys hear uh, all the screaming in the background, um, it's fine. There isn't an abusive couple upstairs or anything. <laughs> it's just my mates watching the football. And uh, Sam and Francesco, if you're listening to this, I really hope that Bayern won. Um so yeah, hope you enjoyed the game and and this as well. If yeah, you've made exactly. it this far, <laughs> if they didn't win, then we've taught you a valuable lesson on grief. So there we go. <laughs> yeah, we've <laughs> we've taught you how to get through the five stages of grief. So so there you go. And oh. the fact that grief in itself, you know, as long as you are aware of it, and you know, you you can go about it in a godly way and and grieve properly and understand what you're going through without letting it turn into sin that's the uh that's the key (laughs) so yeah (laughs) are you familiar with the ship of theseus paradox um are we doing an interview no
Anything in our context works. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just really trying to think of what would be the peak comedy of the situation. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, I've, I've, I've got it. <laughs> Amorgus. Wonder, I don't suppose you've heard of Amogus. Viz, you're looking kind of sus. Vision 900 IQ plays. And you know what I'm gonna do, just for this last bit? I'm gonna turn my gain up to max, I'm gonna point my microphone towards the door, and we're just going to wait for the sound of victory. I hear a sound of victory. <laughs> this is literally the moment when it's like raining outside, and I need to make a more fire. the very best our thoughts at their most organised that was in Italian yes that was Italian we got Francesco to swear in his mother tongue Bene oh good then we can still keep it uh, PG because foreignism <laughs> <laughs> you better edit all this out <laughs>